Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we are back. We're talking sidekicks. The best number twos in Disney. Best number twos. I, I don't think that they'd want to be called number twos because I think they're a little bit better and serve a better purpose than that. But, of course, we are, yes, back, and we are bringing back our first dual guest host, Alyssa and Eric. Welcome back to the podcast. Woohoo! Good to be back. Hello. So, um, off air, we talked a little bit about um, Eric's sadness that Turk was defeated. Were there any other uh, sad-to-see-them-goes for either one of you? Uh, I mean, I just, I love Mushu and Pascal so much, both of them. Mulan and Tangled are, I'm, I'm half Asian and white, and they, I feel like those characters are uh, me. <laughs> like, the, the, heroine, the heroines mm-hmm. of, those, of those movies are me, and... Those sidekicks are so special to me, but Mushu definitely takes the cake for that. But I have to say, they're they're great. They both saved the, the main character's life, so I have to hand it to them for doing that. Eric, we know about Turk. Any other ones that uh, really upset you in that first, first episode there? Well, I was thinking of naming my new kitten miko but i think you've convinced me i was already on the i was already on the fence it's a raccoon looking kitten uh-huh um so i think i'm I, i'm gonna pass on the name miko it, well, my cat deserves better unless miko's food motivated he then, is like, he kind of is. is so we'll see <laughs> may i suggest figaro or mr whiskers i do like figaro that's the pinocchio Chris or break. Thomas O'Malley. Yeah. <laughs> we have a whole cat bracket. Y'all need to check it out. Yeah, there's an entire cat bracket. You'll find a name for your kitten there. Uh, but thank you guys for being back. I'm excited to get into this. Uh, but before we do, Chris, we have an email. Hey. So this email comes from Daniel Cordova, and he says, Hey, guys. First off, I discovered the show via Kyle Madsen. For everybody out there, Kyle Madsen was on our uh, saddest Pixar bracket. Um, and he continues, who I go way back with. We worked together at our college radio station and made just the dumbest commercials together. Uh, well, Daniel, I think you need to drop those dumbest commercials into the replies of one of our next tweets so that we can all watch and tag Kyle in them. He continues. Anyway, I have quickly become obsessed. I'm not fully up on every episode, so I'm not sure how you decide on brackets, but I thought of one. All right, you guys ready for this one? Cause I'm so ready. Because I need it now. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty into this. Best Disney robots. Mm. Ship it, ship it right. Let's stop one. recording this one and just move straight on. He says this article lists a bunch that I didn't even think of, um, and it's a D23 article that is. Uh, about meet K2SO from Star Wars and some other Disney droids you're looking for. Um, and then he says, and then this list gets much, 
this list gets much harder and it's from our favorite Disney fandom wiki uh, robots category. He says, like Kyle, I would offer to help, but unlike him, I feel like I would just be sitting here yelling, Wally forever. <laughs> Chef kiss noise for your show. Well, Daniel, thank you for writing in one and thank you for just <laughs> expanding our horizons as to what we can talk about bracket wise here. I didn't think about robots. My, so the crazy thing is the first thing that came to mind was Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> And I don't know if we're talking like audio animatronics or like on-screen robots. I mean, I feel like we got two brackets out of here. We did. We just got two brackets out of one here. So thank you, Daniel. You just inspired at least four shows. Oh, man. Uh, Eric, Alyssa, off the top of your head, your favorite robot. Go. Not Wally. Sorry. Oh, Oh, man. Um... BB-8. Solid. I mean, you have to... I mean, we're talking Star Wars universe as well, right? Yeah, all Disney properties. Name oh my one. goodness, it has to be C-3PO. It has to be C-3PO. I'm sorry, you... Wally. So Alyssa needs to listen to the saddest Pixar, and Eric <laughs> needs to listen to best, Disney, er, best Star Wars, because uh, we break down both of those characters pretty in-depth in those brackets, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I don't know who I would choose, and I don't even want to say it on air because once we get there, I don't want to already ruin my chances of advancing that character. <laughs> Folks, well, let's return to this galaxy for the best Disney sidekick bracket, which we're wrapping up on this episode. But before we get there, we've got some spoonfuls of sugars we need to talk about. Kyle, what you sipping on over there in California? Back on my rum game. We are back. Uh, this is another one of the concoctions that I just throw together. And I feel like I've made this one on the podcast before. And it also feels pretty like I would have made it fairly recently. But it's just rum, pineapple juice, and violet liqueur. Um, Yum. I, I don't necessarily have a name for it because I feel like I've done it so often. So we're just going to call it like kyle's part two drink because it's always the part two episode that i whip this one out so uh yeah pretty simple delicious tiki but also easy to make so chris what are you drinking for this one well as we get closer to baseball's hopefully opening day i'm kind of coming to terms with the fact that i'm not going to be inside of a baseball stadium this season so i need to to recreate my favorite drink at Yankee Stadium. It's a non-alcoholic drink, but I turned it into an alcoholic one. <laughs> it's called a Grand Slam Shake. Now, I've made a lot of crazy, like, heavy creations on this show. I did the alcoholic Dole Whip, which <laughs> was like a 1,000 calories. But this one takes the cake, literally. It is a New York cheesecake shake. Basically, it's like a normal vanilla milkshake, vanilla ice cream, some like heavy milk, like whole milk. Um, And then there's a little bit of cream cheese and some cinnamon in there. And it's topped (laughs) by just a slice of cheesecake. You made that just now? 
Yeah, it took a few hours and I had to go down to Fairway to get a cheesecake, but it's worth it because I feel like I'm sitting in Yankee Stadium right now in the bleachers, uh, sipping on my Grand Slam shake, and I added a little bit of uh, a spice rum to it to, there to give go. it that just little, just a little something extra. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just pretending Aaron Judge is hitting home runs directly to me right now. We're gonna have to check um, in on you if you get too quiet. Because you might. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's delicious, but um, I hope so. I probably am not gonna get a refill. Uh, I'll just say that. Um, Alyssa, what do you got? Man, I have some uh, unicorn magic or magical unicorn ice cream in my f- freezer that I'm inspired to make something with now that you've brought that up. But alas, today I have another tangerine white claw. Um, so that's my drink today. Very simple, but you know, we're in quarantine. You got to work with what you got. Quarantine claws. You got to get the job <laughs> done. <laughs> Eric, what you got? Um, no sugar today. I'm going with my water bottle. I can pour some margarita in here if you think that'll make the pod more interesting. I, I think whatever you think you need to make <laughs> decisions on this podcast, you if it's water, you drink that water. <laughs> We've had plenty of guests drink water. All right. Let's get back into our bracket with the first final eight matchup. Number 16, Cogsworth and Lumiere versus number eight, Flora, Fauna, and Merriweather. So we talked last episode about how Cogsworth and Lumiere managed to fight off like the entire village that's descended upon the castle to kill the beast. Kyle talked about how they're accessories to a kidnapping. (laughs) So while Cogsworth and Lumiere serve the beast well and they serve Belle well, I'm not sure that you would call them like upright citizens of the community of whatever village that Belle lives in. When it comes to Flora, Fauna, and Merriweather, there really is no question what these three stand for. One really underrated tactical maneuver that Flora, Fauna, and Merriweather use in the fight with Maleficent is putting the entire kingdom to sleep. Yeah. Because knowing that the princess and future queen is like basically dead Mm -hmm. can cause hysteria can cause panic um and you know can cause some heartbreak and worry for the king and queen too so they decide let's just put everyone to sleep no one's gonna know what happened and we'll just take care of this ourselves i think that was just such a good idea yeah and one that I think a lot of sidekicks and a lot of heroes, for that matter, probably would not think of. They would not think of these kind of like big picture impacts that a large battle with a dragon might have on everyone else. Obviously, we talked about those smaller scale things last episode where they free Philip from being chained up. They give him the sword. They give him the shield. Uh, at one point, they create like a rainbow barrier to like protect him from getting like hot cauldron water dumped on him (laughs) like they they literally do everything in this fight like phil is just like a little puppet and they're completely running everything yeah 
as far as the dynamics between them go, something we haven't really talked about, uh, really funny. I mean, Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether are funny characters. Flora is like the de facto leader. She's the red or pinkish one. Uh, Fauna is the green one who is like a total derp. And <laughs> when she's making the cake, it's like the funniest thing ever. Uh, and then Meriwether's got a little bit of spunk to her. She's kind of like the one with a little bit of a chip on her shoulder. She butts heads with Flora a lot. So having all three of them with like really distinct different personalities really helps them like just, you know, get stuff done. For example, Meriwether is the one that like just gets fed up with Diablo. So she goes, she goes for it and stones him. Um, and then you have Flora who's like making the plans, you know, so um, each of them kind of serve a purpose. At the beginning of the movie, they're the ones who grant Aurora her beauty. Flora casts a spell to say she's going to grow up to be beautiful. Fauna casts a spell to say she's growing up to have like a beautiful singing voice. And Meriwether is about to cast a spell until Maleficent blows up her spot. And Meriwether has to use her <laughs> like wish on aurora to be like she's not gonna die mm-hmm. she's just gonna go to sleep for a while mm-hmm. so like my question is what what do you think that would have been like what do you think meriwether would have given her like what else is there right it intelligence yeah <laughs> that would be good that would be a good thing to have lord knows she needs it <laughs> yeah i i don't know that's the best it's guess it's fun to think about because Meriwether's such like a, a fighter mm-hmm. that she might have given her something like that, like given her like courage or like bravery. Um, yeah. Or like intelligence to like, you know, question things or whatever. Right. Uh, so I, I kind of like thinking about that, even though she doesn't get to do it. Also, they really get an interesting like final note that the movie ends on where they're doing the pink, pink and blue thing when Aurora's dancing with Prince Philip and they're still doing the thing where pink, blue, pink, Mm -hmm. blue. And the movie fades out with um, Aurora and Phil in each other's arms and the dress is still changing colors, pink and blue. And to me, like it's so easy to think that that movie is entirely about princess Aurora but like seeing them and like their magic at work in that final moment really makes you realize that like this movie is really about Flora Fauna and Meriwether. Right. Uh, which I think we talked about in the best Disney movie bracket a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately Cogsworth and Lumiere have a lot of the same things going on with them where like you could easily make the argument that this movie is about like breaking a curse. Right. And the curse is only broken with the assistance of Cogsworth and Lumiere. They're two of the same movies. Lumiere gets a good song. <laughs> That's points for him for sure. But I think, you know, just like I'm always pro voting for Bambi, I'm generally always pro voting for Sleeping Beauty. So, um, I think just in general, over the lifetime of our podcast, I've gained a lot of appreciation for Sleeping Beauty and for these three characters. So 
Um, I'm going with Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether, the three good fairies, to advance to the final four. Cogsworth and Lumiere were accessories to a kidnapping, <laughs> and I will not stand for it. Well, I mean, Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether kind of kidnapped someone. It was just like... With, with the uh, advice of the mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, as you said, I think we both have grown uh, a huge appreciation for Sleeping Beauty um, in the lifespan of this podcast. Uh, I think mostly because I think it's a beautifully done movie as far as aesthetically and so much different than everything else and really kind of sets the standard for like what a Disney movie is and should be, which is the highest quality of animation with the most beautiful color display and a solid storyline. Um, and of course, like it has to deal with a prince, a princess and a dragon. So then instantly you're a fairy tale. Um, yeah, but it's the, it's the fairies here for me. I don't really have a huge defense except for the last battle for Cogsworth and Lumiere. Um, but as far as being a good sidekick, it's got to go to the fairies. Let's go. Eric and Alyssa, did you... Okay, so before we even hopped on this call, I knew that Eric had an affinity for Beauty and the Beast. Eric, are you sad to see Clock and Candle leave in this round? Um, not necessarily. Like, I agree with your arguments for the, the Godmothers. I think it's just one of those movies I grew up with that was well. And then got older, watched it, and was terrified... Um, so no, just in general, I think you made really good points. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next matchup. It is number four, Mushu versus number five, Pegasus. Oh, here we go. Everybody buckled up because, uh, <laughs> this is the one right here. <laughs> this is some, this is some. All right. So what it has come down to for me here is that, uh, in an opportunity to pack up and leave, only one of them did, and that was Pegasus, because one thing that has been a running theme in our podcast recently is uh, all spurred by Woody and Toy Story 4, toys before boys, <laughs> and Pegasus adopts that in this movie and says, oh, there's a lady horse over there, and I need to go meet her, and gets himself tricked. While Mushu admits his fault and instead of packing up and leaving or even Mulan being like, get on my face, he says, listen, I've been wrong this whole time. I shouldn't have done this, um, but I promise you that I'm going to stick with you till the very end of this. Um, and she's like, all right, let's go. We got, we got an entire country to save. Um, I think that like, Pegasus is more of a vehicle to success while um, Mushu is a very key point to success throughout the entire movie of Mulan. Pegasus um, is literally a vehicle to success. <laughs> yeah, he just, literally. He just helps Hercules get places. Yeah, literally. Um, provides no help otherwise. He does knock out that one bad guy at the very beginning with the Hercules' first big fight um, to save Meg, which was all just a play. 
he yeah. kicks the dude in the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's not enough here on Mouse Madness. What is enough is Mushu uh, literally leading uh, Mulan across China to fight the Huns and succeed. So Mushu moves on here for me. Yeah, I 100% agree. I liked Tinkerbell last <laughs> episode a lot more in the first round. I think Pegasus makes for a really cute baby. I will say that about <laughs> Pegasus. Baby Pegasus is adorable. And you know yes. what? Adult Pegasus is adorable too, but... Um, Not like baby Pegasus. I would he love doesn't to have talk. a white horse with blue hair, I'm just saying. <laughs> just beautiful in every way. Um, but, you know, he's limited in the same way that kind of these other characters that don't talk are limited, you know, he can yeah. only really kind of like shoot you a look. Yeah. He can't really like help you through your emotional problems. Right. Uh, this ain't a Pixar movie people. <laughs> <laughs> so I also am going with Mushu and I will be really excited to see him go up against the three good fairies in the final four. So Alyssa, Pegasus is out. Mushu's on. How do you feel? I feel good. I'm rooting for Mushu. Uh, he he teaches Mulan how to fit in with the rest of the army folks and kind of trains <laughs> he her. To, yeah, <laughs> he trains her. He saves her. He like um, in the avalanche scene, like finds finds the. Who does he find? He's like on the shield, you know. He yeah. finds the cricket. The cricket. He, he pulls cricket. him out. Yeah. And then, um, like, saves Shane and Mulan. Like, I don't know. He, he does so much in this movie, um, which is interesting. I have yet to see the live action, but he's not in that one. And Yeah, which is... A... I think that's good. Yeah, I, I think it's good, too. We're good with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the Mushu comedy and, like, the concept of the Mushu works in um, animation. It's a family movie, but this movie... This, Live action Mulan is gonna be—it's gonna tell a different story. Yeah, it's so—it's got to just be a warrior story and not like a CGI little dragon or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or whoever whoever plays or however they make the Mushu character appear. We don't need it. We just need <laughs> yeah. Mulan like kicking butt for an hour and a half. So, I think. Will Smith was did Will Smith did a fine job as his own genie. Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't double dip and try to see someone replicate or take Mushu in a different direction. Cause... <laughs> I'm I'm with you a thousand percent. I think that Will Smith did a fine job as the genie and his own genie, which brings us to the other side of the bracket. And with that, we'll hop over to the other side of the bracket where we've got the number two seed Genie of the Lamp versus the number seven seed, the Seven Dwarves. Now, I learned some things about the Seven Dwarves Uh that I didn't really remember or realize. Uh, This is not not outside material. This is just stuff I've paid attention to a little bit closer um, with Snow White. I want y'all to tell me what you think about this line. Uh oh. <laughs> it ain't no trick to get rich quick if you dig, dig, dig with a shovel or a pick. Are these guys running a get rich quick scheme? Because that's how I interpret 
what they just said. I think they have a lot up against them, and they need to just do what they do to get that money. <laughs> so that leads me to my next question. They take all of the rubies and they throw them into like a closet and then do nothing with them. <laughs> and they live in a little smelly, dirty cottage and all sleep in the same room. And they have this like mine filled with valuable gems and rubies. I just, I don't, something else is going on here with these guys <laughs> that I just don't, I just don't trust it. Are they you know? in the same level of sus as Bing Bong? No, no one is as sus as Bing Bong, but <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if those are like blood diamonds and they're working for some kind of like, you know, illegal jewel exchange thing. I would love to hear like the reasoning behind them being miners, but also like rooming together and not just like living in extravagant houses, but then also like throwing some very valuable jewels away. What's yeah, the commentary they, there? It seems like there are like fakes inside of the mm. mine or something. I don't know. That high host scene's a little bit, little bit messy in places. Um, Grumpy is kind of a misogynist. He calls <laughs> all women evil at one point. Yeah. Um, he's also got some corns on his feet at one point he says my corns hurt <laughs> grumpy also calls doc a doodle bug which i don't really know what that is but you know what doc kind of is a doodle bug because the man's can't put together a complete sentence ever and he is somehow the leader of the seven dwarfs makes no sense like why won't you give this to like sneezy or something i'd rather have sneezy run in this show than doc who like, I, I don't know. Uh, they don't wash their hands, which is, you know, not very sanitary. Who knows where they'd be today with their level of hygiene. <laughs> the dwarves are a public health nightmare. They're, dwarves they definitely sure are. They're the fracking their yeah. carbon footprints out the roof. <laughs> they definitely don't wear masks. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, when Eric and, and I were they're... talking about this, Sorry, when Eric and I were talking about this one, uh, he was saying that they're like almost, you know, forming one per one human identity separately, like they're separate emotions. So like, mm -hmm. interesting that like it requires the seven of them versus one person. Here's a right. question for you guys. On that note, who are the ones that stack up together to dance with snow? Mm, Dopey's the top one. We know that. Okay, and then who's, whose shoulders is he on? Cause Do I'd you be, know? Is this a trivia? No, or? I'm, I'm ask, actually asking you guys because I'd be interested in knowing if that's like like the the blind, love is blind <laughs> and dumb, and mm. but you stay grounded by, I, I'm looking so far into this. <laughs> But now I'm fascinated and I need to know. That's your so, right, Kyle. That is your right as a viewer of Snow White. Chris, go ahead and continue with the argument as I research this. I think they really skated by last round. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they're going up against the genie of the lamp. So let's talk about him for a little bit. 
Uh, first of all, the genie does not appear until 35 minutes into Aladdin. Um, so we have to sit through 35 minutes of this trash movie before we get to the best <laughs> part of the movie, which is yeah. the genie. Genie and Robin Williams breathe a whole like breath of fresh air into Aladdin, and they give it a whole new level of depth and importance and new stakes and actual genuine like human relationships and all of that good stuff. One thing that's kind of tricky about the genie is that he almost feels like a sidekick cheat code in that he can pretty much do anything. So if you're talking about like sidekicks really having to like, you know, get it together and go outside of their comfort zone and like fight for their hero, genie, he can do whatever. So a lot of sidekicks have room to mess up. For example, Mushu like accidentally launches a rocket that gives away their location in Mulan. And I think most sidekicks benefit from having that kind of like slight level of like ineptness. Genie is like immune to that because he can do anything. Mm -hmm. But the thing that makes it a little bit interesting is the way that his loyalty is tied to the lamp where now he has the ability to switch sides. So, like, when he falls under Jafar's power at the end of Aladdin, it kind of yeah. makes it makes that, like, cheat codeness almost, like, work in the movie's favor now. Where, like, mm -hmm. okay. Like, yes, Genie can't mess up, but, like, he's not necessarily always loyal to the hero either. So, uh, I, I like that they, they do that switch. I think that's super important. Genie, for him being an immortal, is able to connect with Aladdin in a really human way. And he's able to call out Aladdin on his BS, which Aladdin desperately needs. But guess what? <laughs> Al will hear none of it. He's like, nah, you don't know anything, Genie. It's after the Prince Ali sequence and Jasmine's still not into him. And <laughs> Genie's like, dude, just be yourself, man. Like, just tell the truth. And he's like, I don't want to tell the truth. And, you know, the cop-out for this type of sidekick would just have him be, like, a magical creature that helps the hero get whatever they want, which honestly kind of mm -hmm. happens with Flora and Fauna and Meriwether. But this movie is able to make that genuine connection between the characters and make the genie actually care about Aladdin uh, because the genie's been around the world many, many times. been around for thousands and thousands of years, so he kind of knows what's up. And it's not until Aladdin starts, like, listening to the genie's advice that Aladdin really starts seeing progress in the things that he's after. Um, also, you've got um, the stakes involved, too, where a lot like Mushu, genie kind of is almost in it for his own purposes, where it's in the genie's best interest to build that connection with Aladdin because he's trying to get that third wish and get his own freedom. But... Um, in those slow moments, I do get the sense that all of those little conversations, those pieces of advice do come from a genuine place as opposed to like a, I'm trying to get what I want place. Um, mm -hmm. So I won't really count that against the genie, I don't think. Genie's even willing to sacrifice that wish at the very end of the movie. He's like, you found a girl you want who does not come by very often. And if you want to use your last 
if you want to use your last wish to become a prince again so you can marry her, I will give up my freedom for you. Which is, yeah. I mean, that's basically the ultimate sacrifice. So Genie is a great character, great sidekick. The only redeeming quality of the movie Aladdin. So uh, I am easily going with the landslide victory number two Genie here. All right. So I posed a couple of questions for you guys uh, before Chris was done there. And I want to circle back on them, if I may. Who's the dwarves? Who's the dwarves in the giant trench club? Okay, so uh, it's Dopey on top of Sneezy. So that defuncts any sort of <laughs> theory I had going. You know, love is blind, but you got to close your eyes when you sneeze. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And uh, a question that Chris posed is what is a doodle bug? I have Here answers. I have answers. I'm going to start from it's a it's a website that has given me a list of six things that a doodle bug is, and I'm going to start from the bottom because number 1 is what it actually is. Number 6, it is a do-it-yourself tractor. Um it's just a car that was made into a tractor. Okay. Number 5, it's a self-propelled rail car. Um, okay. Used in the earliest 20th century. Like so, a buggy is like that. Is the bug short for? I don't know. Oh man! Now you're now you're diving into another Google search for me. <laughs> uh, it says that the nickname supposedly popped up when the first of these cars hit the tracks, and a rail person described it as a potato bug, which leads me to my next one. The uh, a doodle bug is a actual bug. Um, and it is the larva of an ant lion. So I'll let you go ahead and Google that. No, no thanks. Another name of it, <laughs> and it's a little furry little ant guy. Number, f- uh, what is this, three, is a World War II era drone bomb. And uh, Snow That's White the came one. out before. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Snow White came out before World War II, so not that one. Um, and now we get closer to the actual answer. Someone in the business reputable and otherwise of locating oil deposits. So this is more, feels like more of a compliment because people wanted to find oil, which leads us to number one, which is a simpleton or a time waster. Uh, and that's how, well, you know, that's how our boy uses it. It, seems to have arisen in the 1800s initially meant to once again mean idiot so there let's you go let's bring it back let's bring let's it back bring to it back. 2020 I'll, i i will say this disney gets creative with their insults they <laughs> yes they do they teach me new ones every time i watch a new movie breaking that down uh chris it's gonna be genie for the reasons you stated seven dwarves don't hold a candle to what the genie's got as a sidekick so no tiebreaker here but eric uh seven dwarfs genie did you have one or the other moving on are you sad to see the dwarfs go down nope i'm happy to watch the seven dwarfs i don't think they're a great (laughs) character um i think it's also the point to a point Alyssa made earlier to like say that you need seven dwarves to make up one person like dwarves are real people in the real world that too yeah that one that one gets the ableist yeah 
eh, yeah, for me. You're <laughs> you're not wrong. You're but not genie, wrong. Genie with flying colors for sure. For all the reasons Chris said. Okay, let's move on to the last matchup of these final eight here. It is the number three seed Olaf versus the number six seed Thumper. I didn't get to talk a lot about Olaf. Um, I'm not sure that I need to because Chris really dived into it on the on the last episode. But I think like Olaf's importance to Frozen is significant. Not only does he like attempt to help with the tasks at hand, so not only like willing to attempt to defend the crew from Marshmallow the massive snowman that Elsa makes the guard of her ice castle of. But he's also willing to, like, self-sacrifice, which is admirable. Um, It's going to the extremes for those who you want to continue on the journey for, which I think as a sidekick... Um, I'm not saying all sidekicks need to like die for their hero in order to be a good sidekick, but it was a choice that had to be made. He is also formed, which is interesting, out of the main protagonist. So all of the other sidekicks are friends brought along the way, but Olaf is literally a manifestation of the love between Anna and Elsa. And he first is made when they're kids and then Elsa makes him when she's climbing up the mountain. So he represents the love between them, which is also kind of why he has the answer to like what needs to happen to them. Like the, the resolution is an act of true love, which he embodies and puts upon them. So like, not only does he move the plot along, but he represents the kind of tying force between Elsa and Anna, which I think is important. But does that make him just a vehicle for the movie? Does that make him a viable sidekick? That one's a super toss-up. But nonetheless, like he's an extremely strong sidekick and advocate for his heroes. Um, up against Thumper, I didn't move Thumper on last time. Um, I think that he does serve an important role in Bambi's life in that he moves Bambi from point A to point B. He's He feels more just like a best friend that you meet along the way as opposed to a best friend that like helps you get there. Um, it, him ice skating feels just like an experience that you have with a best friend, maybe not a sidekick. It's also not a necessary plot point to get Bambi through. If Thumper had, like, <laughs> taught Bambi to ice skate and then Bambi, like, ice skated across the ice and, like, put out the fire, like, okay, I get it, right? Like, you, Thumper helped <laughs> make that happen. But here, like, Olaf exposes what it means to have true love and it's not always a romantic sense and willing to sacrifice and willing to stand up for his friends and those he's a sidekick for. And I think that in this matchup, he's a strong one. So I'm moving Olaf past Thumper. One Olaf moment that we have not talked about is when he's with Anna in Frozen 1 as she's at the fireplace, freezing to death after Hans 
did not kiss her. And when Olaf is able to put aside the comedy and he says, true love is sacrificing you what you want to do something for someone else. And he's standing by the fire and Anna says, oh no, Olaf, you're melting. And he gets the quote. He gets the thesis quote for all of Frozen. (laughs) Some people are worth melting for. Mm. And every time he says that, I get chills. No pun intended, but um, to have such a goofy character deliver that line is powerful. And I think he should get a lot of credit for that. Uh, It all goes out the window in Frozen 2, but at least in Frozen (laughs) 1, um, I was trying to think of, like, you're, you're right, he doesn't really, like, serve the characters reaching the goal so much, but he is able to help the main character realize something about true love. Um, And then he helps her escape the castle and, you know, get herself to Kristoff eventually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while he's not necessarily like, you know, fighting against Maleficent like Flora and Fauna and Meriwether are. He's still helping get the heroes to where they clearly need to go to save their own lives. Now, Thumper, who knows where Bambi would be without Thumper, though, too? Like, Not ice skating, I'll tell you that. You two love that Thumper ice skating scene. It's not just the ice skating scene. It's Thumper getting kissed for the first time, and he starts, like, going crazy. (laughs) My man gets smooched, and he's like, oh, yeah, boy. If you listen to our uh, best prince uh, bracket, you'll see that, like, Chris is a huge proponent for our boy Bambi, so this comes to no (laughs) surprise. Thumper is a father and he gives birth to like eight little thumpers who all thump just like daddy thumps. <laughs> I just love Bambi so much and Thumper <laughs> so much. And Olaf just like falls off a cliff after Frozen 1's <laughs> over. You know, I have to go with my gut just looking at these two. I have to go with Thumper, man. I mean, he's oh. just a more <laughs> solid oh, man. It's the more solid sidekick, you know? Like, Olaf has flaws. I cannot think of any flaws with Thumper. Like, show me where Thumper messes up or, like, where Thumper's not funny or where Thumper's <laughs> poorly written. Like, Did it does Thumper, not exist. Th- uh, all right. Well, first tie break, we're going to Eric this time. So, Eric, you've got the floor for the first tie break. Thumper or Olaf? I'm fixated by both Chris and Kyle's obsession with this this Thumper ice skating scene. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about this scene now, and it makes me really like Thumper more than I've ever thought about Shh. Thumper before. No, it doesn't. Shh. But I think... Well, Olaf can ice skate, too. <laughs> Olaf is ice. That Olaf <laughs> is ice. I know, but I mean, he's probably better at ice skating than Thumper. He's better at beat. <laughs> If ice skating is a necessary quality for a sidekick, I would agree. But as far as sidekicks go, I mean, 
the the one moment that's that's stick the one argument that's sticking with me more than any of these i think is the the quality of sacrifice that olaf was willing to do he was willing to you know be melted right there and then and used his last words to you know proclaim loyalty to elsa and anna so i'm gonna go with olaf for this one and this, uh, olaf uh, v genie is gonna be a fantastic debate it's gonna it's gonna be something this feels like it was all pulled by chris to force olaf through and through <laughs> by voting against him my ulterior motives are always get bambi to the final <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's all i want <laughs> All right, let's head back over to the other side where we have our first final four matchup. Who's getting to the finals? Is it Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether, or is it Mushu? Something that we've talked a lot about in relation to Mushu is this idea of growth and realization and how Mushu has a clear arc, and people use that term irresponsibly, in my opinion, when they talk about movies, not every character needs an arc. A lot of times people think there's arcs when there's not arcs, but um, Mushu gets a nice, like, subtle one that's just perfect uh, for a Disney movie. Flora and Fauna and Meriwether are just, like, bosses. They're super powerful, but they don't really come away with anything new at the end of the movie. And one of the reasons I think Mushu is able to go through this is because we don't know Mushu or Mulan doesn't know Mushu at the beginning of the movie. Most of these sidekicks, like we pick it up in the middle of their relationship. Like they've known each other for a while. Um, And we see Mushu having to earn Mulan's trust. We see Mulan having to use that trust and Flora and Fauna and Meriwether are just kind of protectors over Aurora. It's very much a one-way relationship also. Um, Yeah, because Aurora is not aware of what they're actually doing for her. Right, and also Flora and Fauna and Meriwether aren't, like, becoming better people or anything. Like, they're just, like, saving the world. Which is, I get, that's valuable, but, like, (laughs) you know what they say. It's the friends you made along the way that's the real adventure, you know? <laughs> and with Mushu and Mulan, it is the friends you make along the way. And um, both of these characters have those, like, moments of ineptitude where, like we said last episode, Flora and Fauna and Meriwether accidentally, like, shoot pixie dust into the chimney to reveal their location. Mushu accidentally launches the firecracker. They're both really funny Two both of the funnier characters on the... Yeah, both good at recovering. Both play critical roles in the final showdown. Here's something that I think needs to be said. A good sidekick, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily get the kill. They, like, help the hero get the kill. And they, they like, let the hero be the hero. And Mushu does just enough in that final showdown with Sean Yu where he's there and he's completely integral, but it's still Mulan who like disarms Sean Yu, 
who gets his cloak stuck down and so and she it's clearly Mushu right on what to do. she's the one right she's the one who comes up with the plan she uses her ingenuity which is what we talked about in the heroes bracket um and she's kind of like become herself in this moment she's really found the reflection so like yeah Mushu's not as like all powerful as these, as these fairies but I think if we're talking about like the structural integrity of the movie Mulan and like best sidekicks, I think leaving room for Mulan to do her thing is points for Mushu. When all said and done, I think I have enough evidence here to say Mushu should move on to the finals over Flora and Fauna and Meriwether. I think that your argument faltered a bit when you said that the sidekick helps but doesn't take the dub when the deed is done because i don't think that the fairies took the w i'm pretty sure that like philip was the hero no 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 no. they enchanted the sword and they like moved his arm yeah moved his arm for him but at the end there wasn't a parade for them there was like yay prince that's not what what i'm talking about i'm talking about I'm talking about like the evil being, Where, like the evil being defeat, vanquished, and the conflict being resolved. Where your argument was saved, Chris, was by Alyssa saying that while Mushu does pretty much the same thing, he fires off a firework, kills the bad guy. Mulan orchestrated all of it, right? So like her using her sidekick to accomplish a goal and the sidekick being on the same page is the greatest way to utilize that sidekickness. Um, so I'm with you. Mushu was moving on as well for me. Alyssa, I'm assuming that with you coming in with that fire, you were going to have Mushu moving on in your heart too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's a great point. It's a great point. I would have, screen from the rooftops that they were the same <laughs> until you said that so <laughs> yeah it helps i recently watched it it's something i watch like every few months just because it's like my my pump up mu- my pump up movie and it inspired me to do taekwondo as a kid so we love mulan right. we love mushu <laughs> all right awesome let's move along to the next matchup to see who will face off versus mushu in the finals it's the genie versus Olaf. Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> I say, oh, boy, oh, boy, as if, like, I'm going to really contemplate this one. It's the genie for me here, everyone. Um, I think it's because the genie is, like, Olaf is just so naive that he knows nothing else. And so he can't really think for himself. He just knows what he knows, which is, like, these new friends he doesn't even know Kristoff's name is Kristoff. He thinks that Sven is Kristoff and Sven is Kristoff's the reindeer and like whatever. While the genie has this like he he needs to get through these wishes and he knows Aladdin has said like once you get through them, uh, my third one is going to be to free you. So there is a motive for the genie to like continue to help Aladdin throughout the movie but you also see that like genie plays the the 
part of common sense for Aladdin. And he's like, listen, okay, I'll make you into Prince Ali. You're going to meet Jasmine. Everything's going to be great, but you got to come clean. The rest of the movie is like, you got to just come clean. Just like tell her who you are. Like this is, it's going to work out. Like if you just come up truthful with Jasmine, that's the best case scenario. He's also constantly just trying to correct Aladdin's path and, I think that's important of a sidekick. Like, it's not always just to take orders. I think it's to always also help your protagonist or your the hero to do the right thing. And he does that constantly. He saves Aladdin, for goodness sake. I mean, like, Aladdin gets bum-rushed and th- tossed into a river, and Genie thinks quick on his feet and is like, I can't save him. That I literally can't use my powers to bring back the dead. But I can have him use one of his wishes to be alive and he does it and saves him. And it's, it's, I don't believe that it's because if Aladdin dies, then genie has to go back into the lamp. I think by that point in the movie, genie's invested in Aladdin. Just he's his friend and his uh, friend like me is, I think used at the beginning to kind of like lure people into being like, hey listen i'm your friend i'm just here to help you but at the end if you could please just release me but i think it also serves as like foreshadowing that like literally the genie will like do whatever you need to like keep you alive and be a good friend and good sidekick like i think that's very important i think that just olaf's lack of he he's he's not doing anything he's just kind of like going along and then as things present themselves he attempts to take action and whether uh, most of the time it's within good faith because he that's all he knows he hasn't been corrupted yet i think that's part of his character is like this is the purest of the pure um but it's not like he's he's like we need to snap elsa out and here's how we do it he's just kind of like tumbling along like can't wait for summer he's not a man of action at all he's very (laughs) much comic relief and i think that you need uh, a person of action as your sidekick and genie's that so genie's moving on past olaf for me yeah i definitely agree i think this whole bracket was gonna come down to mushu and genie i think it was all leading there so i'm excited to talk about it next round uh, Eric, do you have any parting words for Olaf? Nope. Bye. <laughs> Good riddance. <laughs> all right. Doses. This is what it all comes down to. We've talked for two and a half hours about sidekicks, and it's time for us to talk one last time. And it's between, from the left side of the bracket, number four Mushu from Mulan, first number two Genie from aladdin oh boy chris i'm gonna defer to you you've started off these episodes you're gonna start off the end of this one yeah i think we've kind of said most of what there is to say about these two and they profile in very similar ways it feels like they both learn things about themselves throughout the journeys that they go on they both are essential in helping their heroes. They both have their own goals that are separate from the heroes, but still 
tied directly to the hero's successes. They're both voiced by legendary comedians who inject their own personal yeah. performances into the roles. Uh, both just absolute riots. So it's really hard to kind of pick out the differences between the two. I guess the one thing that I can think of, which I think settles it for me, something Alyssa said, I can't remember if it was earlier this episode or last episode, when Mushu is helping Mulan like fit in with the other army camp guys. He does not give very good advice. <laughs> he <laughs> attempts to, but it's it's like very misguided, right? He's like, slap him on the butt, guys like that. He's like, no. Right. Like, um, and then Yao says something, and then Mushu yells, what did you call me, you limp noodle? And then <laughs> like a brawl. <laughs> right, a brawl breaks out. So this reveals... Mushu's short temper, um, which is fitting because he's a little tiny dragon. Uh, he definitely, for the person he is, is probably too prideful for his own good. And that's again revealed in the moment where they launch that firework and Mushu and the cricket like point at each other. You know, right. like a normal hero might just kind of like look super embarrassed, but he's like, no, oh, no, not me. <laughs> so um, while both of these characters are really funny, Mushu has this imperfect quality to him that I think is really necessary in a sidekick. One that is capable of flaws because... A lot of times the sidekick kind of messing up adds some drama to the story. Yeah. It, it it's characterization driving plot, which is really the only and best way to do a movie well. So I think that puts Mushu like just barely over the genie for me. Genie is really really funny. At times, though, I feel like his Robin Williams-ness kind of, like, gets in the way of the movie. Like, he turns into Rodney Dangerfield, and then he turns into Jack Nicholson, and then he does the thing, like, on Broadway where he's, like, making references to other Disney things. Like, he turns into Pinocchio and blah, 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 blah. It can be a little bit distracting at times. Um, Mushu, I just think, is is the more solid sidekick. So I'm locking in Mushu over Genie. The matchup here comes down to ulterior motives for me because they both have them. Yeah. Genie wants to be freed. He spent 10,000 years and got a crick in the neck from being in the lamp. And Mushu just wants to prove himself. I think the points that you bring up are valid. The, I mean, this matchup is as close as it can be. This is, as you said, probably destined to be the final matchup for this bracket. I did want to see the fairies in there, but <laughs> it's a whole nother thing. Sergeant Tibbs probably could have taken the crown, but... <laughs> okay. Thumper, Thumper, right now. All right. <laughs> I just think that, like, Mushu's entire motivation until about 
20 to 15 minutes until the movie's over is like, I need to prove myself. And then he causes an avalanche and gets Mulan stabbed and exposed. And then he's like, oh, you know what? Like, yeah, I took this too far. I need to come clean. While like the genie had this motive of being freed, but I think that like much quicker he realized that like he just genuinely likes Aladdin and knows his heart's in the right place and he wants to guide him there and help him however he can. He saved his life for heaven's sakes, right? So I think it's it's super valid. I think that Mushu does a ton for Mulan. I just don't think it's in the right place like it is with the genie. So Chris, I'm going with the genie as the winner of this bracket, which means <laughs> we're dropping it to Alyssa and she is crowning the best Disney sidekick. Oh man. Well maybe Eric you can help me with this. Yeah, yeah, actually, you guys can... we we're talking about this bracket and from the beginning Eric said genie and I was like, Oh no, I, I see Mushu in there and oh, I man. see like both of them so basically it's like our choices against each other as well. I just wanna propose like the initial like dynamic of the sidekick and hero, like Genie is used to serving the people that rub the lamp and oh. so he's like he knows what he's in for, like the he he knows what he signed up for, like he's done this before. Versus Mushu has never had a gig like this, so like there's something there in how the the characters evolve, and I definitely think like you think Chris the made genie a point about the arc. Yeah, you think the <laughs> genie benefited from multiple times of practice to be like, this isn't about yeah. freedom. I need to like, interesting. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at it in like how the how much the sidekick helped the hero um, given the circumstance and given how fresh it was for the sidekick too because Mulan and Mushu were like a random match and Mulan wasn't even expecting to have anyone help her. So, but I don't know. What do you think, Eric? <laughs> I'm I'm so terrified to make this decision for myself. So <laughs> what I've decided to do, and I know you are a podcast, so I'll try to explain everything for the audio listeners. I'm sharing my screen with you all. Can you all see my screen? Oh, we're <laughs> hopping into this? the data. Oh, my I gosh. Could not decide. So what I did is I pulled up Google Trends for Mushu versus Genie in the U.S. the past 12 months and only a web search. So what I'm presenting to you is like in the U.S. the past 12 months, who has been searched more, right? Look at how f close these are, like five versus 12 web searches. And you know the spike in Mushu is because that's <laughs> when they announced the live the action. Trailer. Yeah, July 7th. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's so funny. So I, I really don't want to make a decision. I want to show you two <laughs> this data and then oh. show you the la th this last part. Look at this related queries i think this is an interesting piece of information too once they've looked at mushu what do they then search mushu new milan mushu and new milan is mushu and new milan <laughs> pair that to genie which is who's the voice of genie in aladdin too a G aladdin genie costume i want chris and kyle to debate these pieces of data i think that would be really interesting i don't want to make the decision this is your podcast I would love to hear you talk about this. What just happened? 
<laughs> Data. <laughs> Yeah, we just is got saber metrics for. We just got. We just what got, is Google Trends? Yeah, we just got hijacked. <laughs> oh my god! Well, Eric, if you could uh, scroll down to the genie searches for me, real quick. Interesting uh, how the genie is in red and Mushu's in blue. Were that was quite the choice for Google there. Um, <laughs> yeah, they should have just flipped them. Right? How come um, people in Utah really want to search for genie? <laughs> Uh, people in Utah are huge Will Smith fans, apparently. I think that, like, Voice of Genie in Aladdin 2 is not the direct to VHS. They want to know who's, vo- who's like, who's portraying Genie in the new Aladdin. Unless there was a spike in people watching the uh, Jafar Returns or whatever that straight to VHS movie was. <laughs> I, this is... I obviously the Mushu question because it was a hot topic on the Diz Twitter, which we've brought up already in this bracket. Um, Eric, I'm happy that you brought this to us. Also, Montana, what are you doing? They're just huge, big <laughs> Mushu fans up there. <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, like, I'm so happy you brought this to us and. To the listeners, I hope that you watch this on our Twitter page because we're going to go ahead and post this so that you all have a reference point. But luckily for me and Chris, we've stated our evidence. This is Alyssa's choice to make. Oh, man. Okay. You've seen the data. You've heard our nonsense. And you have your own opinion. How are you going to measure it to make a scientifically correct decision here? We've tested oh, all the man. hypotheses. Eric was over there cranking the numbers. <laughs> I was gonna make a word cloud. Listen to. I was l- gonna do this last I, night. I was gonna search all their quotes, like all the quotes, the dialogue each character said. Put it in a word cloud. See what word comes up the biggest, and be like, just so you all know, this character, or or like either opinions of the character, and put that in word cloud, or the dialogue, and just drop that evidence, and be like, all right, talk about this. It's me versus you. <laughs> I think you you bring up a good point about quotes because for me, I find myself quoting Mushu way more than Genie, and I think there's way more quotable moments from him in the movie, and he provides like so many, I don't know, just really memorable moments. And I, I know I'm biased with Mulan, but I have like, this is so close. Okay. I think I'm going to go with Mushu with this one. <laughs> But they're both brilliant sidekicks, I have to say. That's <laughs> what this podcast is all about. Chris and I can say whatever we want. You can listen to whatever you want. Sometimes the arguments just come down to bias, and we're okay with that. I think I'm okay with Mushu winning. I think Junior should have won, but <laughs> I think Mushu is a viable candidate. Um, <laughs> so as we do at the end of every bracket, Specific. This is a bracket of firsts with data and freaking two ho- guest hosts. We're gonna clap it out. Let's go ahead and clap it out because this was absolutely something. Uh, it's been a minute since we've had a guest decide our uh, crown here, Chris. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always good to hear someone's discomfort when they have to. <laughs> Settle the whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
Es- yeah. Especially because we're m- having to make choices the entire time. So it's like, okay, well, now it's your turn to make a choice. <laughs> so. And I'm fun. willing to make that choice, Eric. It's. <laughs> you I'll both did. <laughs> You, you know, both. honestly, I think the data reveals that Mushu should have won. If that's how I'm interpreting that's it. That's how I interpret people, it, too. People, people care. care. Yeah. People care and that the, Mushu's not Yeah, in the there's a sense one. of loss there and grief. Yeah. Although it's an entirely different story and supposed to be more historically accurate. But it, Yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> oh, it's grief yes. they should I mean, not have. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. We don't ever, Had like... For a second. <laughs> we don't endorse the makings of these films we just dissect <laughs> what we're given hence peter pan <laughs> uh, yeah. all right guys well that's gonna do it for our best disney sidekicks bracket mushu will be entering the mouse madness hall of fame and eric and Alyssa, thank you guys so much for joining us the last couple of weeks we really had a great time with you Thank you. That was so much fun. I had a blast. I can't wait to share more Disney data with you all. You know where to reach us. You can send us a tweet at Mouse Madness Pod on Twitter. You can email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. You can always join our Discord server where we are talking Disney stuff all day, every day. Or you can interact with us on Facebook. Join our Facebook group, which is linked in the description of this podcast. Folks, thanks for listening. And I live! <laughs> Perfect. You <laughs> <laughs>